0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, we thank you again for all these praises that you've given to us. Lord, we praise you because you are a God who loves us, and you are a God who who stepped out to reconcile the relationship that we broke, even though we don't deserve it. God, this morning we talked about negotiating peace with you and how we recognize that it's not really a negotiation, that it's you set the terms and we just have to accept it, Lord. So we praise you that you have made a way for salvation. We praise you that it is just simply surrender to you. So this morning, God, I ask as we open up your word that you will reveal yourself to us in your word and help us to know more about you so that we can be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are continuing our sermon series uh, in the post-exilic texts, looking uh, when the Jews come back from exile, it's their return from exile, and throughout this whole year, as we're looking at these texts, the overarching theme is depending on God. Um, so we are in uh, Zechariah in the in kind of in the midst of his night visions. Um, you know, we said he was woken up in the middle of the night by an angel, uh, and he's given these eight visions. Um, and we've gone through two visions each week, and so this week we're going to finish up those eight night visions with uh, the seventh and eighth visions. Um, and that is uh, it starts in chapter five, verse five, and we're going to go through chapter six, and verse eight. And this is a wicked woman and four chariots. And the main. Idea of these two visions is that God is preparing for his return. And we see that um, working out in two different ways, um, kind of one for each of these visions, and it's that God sends wickedness away and God defeats his enemies. And we'll go ahead and jump right into this, starting in Zechariah 5, verse 5. It says, Then the angel who was speaking with me came forward and told me, Look up and see what this is that is approaching. So I asked, What is it? He responded, It's a measuring basket that is approaching. And he continued, This is their iniquity in all the land. Then a lead cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting inside the basket. This is wickedness, he said. He shoved her down into the basket and pushed the lead weight over its opening. Then I looked up and saw two women approaching with the wind in their wings. Their wings were like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between the earth and sky. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the basket to build a shrine for it in the land of shinar he told me when that is ready the basket would be placed there on its pedestal so let's go back and kind of recap this vision or explain it so again we have zechariah being guided through the vision by an angel but this vision focuses on a basket Uh, with a woman sitting inside of it. Now the measuring basket was common in the ancient Near East and it was used to measure volume, both dry and liquid volume. Uh, The specific unit mentioned here is also common in the Old Testament. Um, We don't get that unit in this English translation, but the unit was the the ephah. Um, And the ephah, well for us southerners, it was about 16 Mountain Dew bottles. Um, But the the size of this container isn't what makes it interesting. It's what's inside it and where it's being taken. Inside the basket is a woman who's called wickedness. Now this sounds like what I try to tell the, the boys in all my classes, that them girls are just going to you, get you in trouble. But this representation of evil comes up a couple of times in the Bible, a couple of other times in the Bible, probably, maybe most famously in Proverbs 7, starting in verse 6, he says, At the window of my house I looked through my lattice, I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths a young man lacking sense. "'Crossing the street near her corner, "'he strolled down the road to her house "'at twilight in the evening, in the dark of night. "'A woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, "'having a hidden agenda. "'She is loud and defiant. "'Her feet do not stay at home.' Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made my fellowship offerings. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. I've spread uh, coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love making until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with flattering talk. He follows her impulsively, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap, until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into the snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray unto her paths, for she has brought down, she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of the death, descending to the chambers of death. Now that's a long passage, but we see again that wickedness is kind of portrayed here as a woman. And then again in Revelation chapter 17, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had, come, uh, who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who was seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried me away in the spirit of wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast... Uh, that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the, wit- uh, the witnesses to Jesus when I, when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. So again, we see that imagery come up in the Bible. Uh, even the Eagles made a similar reference in their 1972 song "Witchy Woman." But coming back to this uh, Zechariah, sorry, coming back to this Zechariah passage, what does all this mean? Now, I don't think that the Bible is saying that women are wicked, but why would God choose to personify wickedness as a woman in the Bible? Well, I think there are two main reasons. First. The imagery focuses on evil as a power outside and of itself, uh, a power in and of itself, an external objective force, not merely the sinful actions of people. God alone has supreme power over evil, and He's directing His angels to remove it to distant Shinar. Are we humans capable of uh, producing our own evil? Yes, we are. Does it show in our sinful actions? Yes, it does. But evil is also an external force that we have no control over. It's a both and. It's not one or the other. So then the next question is, well, why a woman? Well, I think this is to highlight the strength of the temptation of evil. And let's face it. When we think of one of the strongest and most difficult temptations, it's that, uh, one that we hear of time and time again. It's the male sexual lust for a woman who is not his wife. So, God uses this imagery to show just how tempting evil is and how easy it is to fall into its grasp. But God does not leave this wickedness in the land of Judea. He has his angels deliver it to Shinar, where they are building a shrine for it, and they will worship it. Now, the land of Shinar shows up early in the Bible, all the way back in Genesis 11. This is where all the people came together, and in their pride, they were going to build a tower to reach up to the heavens. And God stepped in, and He said, well, this isn't good. We don't want, them, we don't want people to, to show this pride and start worshiping them themselves. Um, God intervened and confused their language. Then in verse 9, we are told that this land of Shinar is called Babylon. Though God used the Babylonians to carry out His discipline on the land of Judah, most often throughout the Bible, Babylon is used to portray re- uh, sorry, rebellious opposition to Yahweh. Babylon also symbolizes opposition to Yahweh in the Revelation passage that we read earlier, and again in Revelation 14, 8. It says, And another, a second angel, followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. So Babylon, throughout the Bible, is used to portray rebellious opposition to God. Now there's one more very important detail that we haven't covered yet, and it's this phrase about the angel's wings. It says there are two women approaching with the wind in their wings, and their wings were like those of a stork. So since ancient times, storks were known for their affectionate care of their young. And um, then what about the phrase, the wind in their wings? So in Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit... And breath, it's all the same word. It's ruach, if I pronounce that right. I don't know, Um, but it's, it's the same word for wind, breath, and spirit. So here it is a reference to God's Spirit guiding the angels. So what did all this mean to the Jews? What did this mean for Zechariah? How was he supposed to deliver this vision? What was the message he was supposed to bring with this vision? So to understand this vision, we have to understand that it ties in with the previous three visions. See, in the fourth vision, the high priest is cleansed in preparation for the coming Messiah and and his kingdom of peace. And then in the fifth vision, the governor is promised that if he will depend on God, then the temple will be completed under his leadership. Then in the sixth vision, God sends out a curse on all those living in the land who do not live according to his law. Now, God, with his fatherly love, is removing wickedness from the land and taking it to the land of Babylon. These four visions taken together show that God is preparing his land. See, he starts with the religious and political leaders and then moves on to the common people and finally removes the external wickedness from the land. But what is he preparing the land for? What's he preparing it for? Well, to, to, uh, to know that, we have to go all the way back to the third vision. So this ties all the way back to the previous four visions. In the third vision, in chapter two, verse 10, he says, Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord's declaration. So God is preparing his land and his people for his presence. I'm gonna say that again. God is preparing his land and his people for his presence. So what does that mean for us here. Now I've said several times throughout this uh, study and several times in, in throughout my tenure here that when we are studying the Bible we have to understand what the message was to the original audience in order to gain that timeless truth from it and then apply it to our situation. So now that we see what this passage meant for the, ori- uh, for the original audience to the Jews there that God is preparing His land and His people for His presence, what does that mean for us here? Well We have seen, what we have seen in these five visions is that God wants to cleanse His people and His land from their iniquity. He wants them to depend on Him for protection. He wants them to depend on Him for power. He wants them to depend on Him for a plan. He purifies them and removes wickedness from them all in preparation for His presence. For us, that message is the same, but it's made even more clear through Jesus' life. See, we're all sinful, and we cannot cleanse ourselves from the guilt of that sin. Because of that sin, we are separated from God. But he sent his son, Jesus, to take the punishment for our sins by dying on the cross. He took our guilt and declares us clean. He is our cleansing if we will just place our faith in him. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected on the third day, displaying his power and victory over sin and death. Sorry, faith in Jesus means depending on Him as Lord and trusting in His plan. His Spirit comes to live within us and gives us power to turn away from sin and avoid the wickedness that runs rampant in this world. That starts with placing our faith in Jesus, but continues as we depend on the Holy Spirit daily and hold each other accountable to growing closer to God. This is all in preparation for the restoration of God's kingdom, the new Jerusalem that is promised in Revelation where we will live with King Jesus forever in his eternal kingdom of peace. Now this all actually leads right into the eighth and final vision, so let's jump right into that. Starting in Zechariah um, chapter 6, he says, Then I looked up again and saw four chariots coming between two mountains. The mountains were made of bronze. The first chariot had chestnut horses, the second chariot black horses, the third chariot white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses. All strong horses. So I inquired of the angel who was speaking with me, "What are these, my lord?" The angel told me, "These are the four spirits of heaven going out after presenting themselves to the Lord of the whole earth. The one with the black horses is going to the land of the south. The white horses—sorry—to the land of the north. The white horses are going after them, but the dappled horses are going to the land of the south. As the strong horses went out, they wanted to patrol. They wanted to go patrol the the whole." Sorry, going back to verse seven. As the strong horses went out, they wanted to go patrol the earth. And the Lord said, go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he summoned me saying, see, those going to the land of the north have pacified my spirit in the northern land. So again, let's let's summarize this vision. There are four chariots and each are pulled by a different type of horse or a different color horse. And these represent the messengers of God's justice. They come through a valley between two mountains, and those mountains are made of bronze. Now, this probably represents the entrance to God's court, where the messengers were just presented before God. And the two bronze mountains are like the, the bronze pillars that guard the entrance to the temple, but supersized. And so this is like an oversized temple that they're building in Jerusalem, but it's just blown up to this huge, massive size. So two chariots are sent to the north, and one chariot sent south. But they are described as patrolling the whole earth. Now hopefully you noticed last time you looked at a compass there's more than two directions. Now this is because of the geography of Jerusalem. To the west, sorry, your direction. To the west was the Mediterranean Sea. And then to the east was a desert that was barely inhabited at all. So the only, uh, the only other habitants near them would have been either in the north or in the south. Throughout Israel's history, they were most susceptible to attack from the north and the south. Though more often, and most devastatingly, from the north. The south probably represented Egypt, while the north represented Assyria and Babylon. The Canaanite god, Baal, was also depicted as living on a mountain in the north. So, if your math is weak, that's only three chariots. And that's one less than the four that were described in the vision. Now, it doesn't say here, but I think that that fourth chariot stayed there in the land of Jerusalem, both as judge and protector of God's people. Now, at the end of the vision, we are told that the chariots who went to the north have pacified God's spirit. So what would this mean to the original audience? If the Jews asked Zechariah for a clarification about this vision, what would he tell them? Well again, we have to tie it in with the rest of the visions, and once we do, it starts to become clear. So I had given a statement to summarize the previous visions, right? That statement was that God is preparing His land and His people for His presence, right? So that kind of summarizes the rest of those visions. God is preparing His land and His people for His presence. Now in the, H, in the, H, in the eighth vision, once the, once the land and the people are prepared, He is going to defeat the enemy in the north and dwell among His people. So now that we know what that vision meant for the Jews, we can start to understand what our takeaway can be. We have to understand that this vision, that the fulfillment of this vision is twofold. First, it points to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The Jews were restored to the land of Israel so that Jesus could come and be born to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah. Jesus came to defeat evil by dying on a cross and cleansing us of our sin, freeing us from our slavery to sin when we place our faith in Him. He then goes on to give us His Spirit to sanctify us, which is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus by surrendering more of ourselves to Him. But then second, the second fulfillment, this points to the end times, when Jesus will come again to permanently defeat evil by sending the devil and his captives to an eternity in hell, while He establishes His perfect everlasting kingdom of peace. For those who have accepted salvation from Jesus, We look forward to this time with hope, hopeful expectation, because evil will be carried away like the wicked woman in the basket from the seventh vision. But before that day comes, we are to be busy with his work of building his kingdom by increasing the population of that kingdom. In Matthew 28, Jesus commissioned us to make disciples of all nations, not just to sit and wait for him to return, but to wait and go make disciples. So yes, we wait hopefully for that day, but until that day comes, we are to work faithfully by making disciples. So our application for this passage, uh, application comes from our definition of a, of a disciple and those three indicators of a disciple. Um, so we, uh, the first application is to know that Jesus came to cleanse you from your sin. Jesus first came to this earth to die for our sin. And in doing so, he cleansed us and prepared us as his people but to accept that cleansing, you must first place your faith in Him. But that cleansing is not just a one-time event. He cleanses us, cleans, cleans us of our guilt once and for all, but being cleansed is an ongoing process. We must constantly surrender to God's Spirit so that He can show us the areas of sin in our life and give us power to overcome it. We, as a gathering of believers, must continually surrender to His Spirit to guide us and direct us as a body of believers. We must continually surrender to His Spirit to cleanse us as a congregation. We hold each other accountable for growing out of sin and becoming more like Jesus. The second application point is to be hopeful for His return. So, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, we got into a pretty good discussion about the end times when Jesus returns to defeat the enemy and establish a new Jerusalem. Now, in that discussion, there are a lot of unanswered questions but we could all say with confidence that we hoped for Jesus' return and his perfect reign on earth. Do you long for his return? Do you believe in his return? Have you ever even thought about his return? He is coming back, and when he does, all those who believe in him will live with him forever in perfect harmony like we were supposed to do in the beginning before sin came in and messed everything up. And the final application point is the do, and that's to build his kingdom. Just as we are to be hopefully awaiting his return, that doesn't mean that we are lazily awaiting his return. Until his return, we are to be building his kingdom. Those who have not placed their faith in Jesus will be sent to an eternity in hell, and that should break our hearts. When we look around the people, when we look around at the people in our community who are not followers of Jesus, We have to recognize that their eternal destination is hell. We should not be okay with that. That should hit us deep down in our hearts. We look at them and say, these are people who God came and lived here and died for them. So we go and we share the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection with them. We go and we live out the truths of the gospel in our lives so that they can see the gospel affecting our lives. And we go and we teach them about Jesus's uh, commands. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So yes, we teach. We show how the gospel affects our lives. We spread the gospel. We want to build the kingdom. We want to see those people around us saved and brought closer to Jesus so that when he does return, the population in his kingdom will be even more. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that is in your word and that you have preserved your word for us so that we can know you. God, in this message this morning, Father, I pray that you will help us to to come to you constantly to be cleansed by you. Help us, God, to depend on you for power and protection and for a plan. God, help us to be hopeful for your return, but not just to sit back and wait for it, but to uh, work while we're waiting, to be busy with your work in making disciples. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.